Inside Edge, your weekly deep dive into the world of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Here's Bob McElligot and Jody Shelley. Welcome to the Inside Edge. Blue Jackets last night played against the Arizona Coyotes. And unfortunately for the Blue Jackets in the eight games that they played this year, it was the worst performance of the eight. Let's just uh, tell it like it is. They were uh, they were outworked. They had trouble against the Coyotes last night. They lost the game. Uh, the final score was 6-3. to three. But Jody Shelley, this was a game that was dominated by Arizona from the beginning. It's kind of funny because they went up 2 to nothing. And I felt like, okay, let's go. Arizona's one and four. They're not a very good team. You're a much better team. Get a goal. Get in this game. And then I was still saying that at three to nothing, four to nothing. And, and, and again, I don't know. You're, you're the former player. Is it one of those nights or how would you characterize what happened? No, I was shocked by it because they had such a good outing in New York with the Rangers. And, you know, when you look at their strength of schedule, they played teams that you have to be. You have to be on for it. Teams that are, you know, you have to be prepared mentally and physically to play Carolina, St. Louis, the New York Rangers. Uh, you look at the whole front part of their schedule, there was a lot of good competition there. A desperate Vancouver Canucks who are still looking for their first win on the season. Uh, it, you know, so I think that they felt so good about themselves in New York and then felt even better when they got Patrick Line back. I think that they figured that the skill of the team would take over and they would just, you know, just come to them easily last night in that game. But it just shows you that this league, it's work ahead of skill always. And it it means that you have to grunt and groan to get pucks out of your own end. Uh, You have to figure out a way to give it up to get it back sometimes in the neutral zone to get it in the offensive zone. And then you have to work to get quality chances on goaltenders. And I thought Connor Ingram, I mean, he's a very inexperienced goaltender. But the first part of that game, they didn't really have – they might have had a couple really good chances in the first half of the game. And then when things got away from them, they got a couple more and got some goals. But for me, it was uh, they thought they had things figured out a little bit. And I think in the National Hockey League, we've heard it before from other people. And you hear it from other teams. You hear it out of teams that – go through this that's the last thing you could that's the last way you can approach the game one-on-one battles inside pressure beating strong sticks um, if you don't do that consistently then the other team will find bounces but they create bounces as well and the skill uh, the blue jackets have played games against skilled players who have not been able to show it because they've been stingy and stiff with their sticks and their body position and and, and they're reading plays and jumping to offense there wasn't any of that last night. It seemed like the Blue Jackets thought they were going to be able to break through, like you said, when they were down to nothing. It was like, okay, dial it up. They just didn't have it. They didn't have that. Uh, they couldn't get it. I shouldn't say they didn't have it. They couldn't get it, and that's a different statement. Uh, you know, Brad Larson said something about not having it last night after the post game, and you know, that I could see what he was saying. But I think they they couldn't get it. They couldn't get on their game. So I think you credit the opposition in this case. This is a team that comes in with one win. Not a lot of expectations. More skill than you even know because a lot of those players you don't even know. Uh, you know Goss Bear from Philly when he was there. He's an offensive-minded defenseman. Their power play was at twenty, almost 27% coming in, but they've only played like six games, so what does that really mean? You know, Blue Jackets had a really strong power play a few years ago, clicking on at 38%, but it was like nine or ten games in. So then they get a couple goals on the power play and the next thing you can't get anything going then the power play gets booted home you get frustrated and from there 
they just take advantage. So they only had 20 shots on net, including the empty net goal they got. So, you know, after two periods, I think it was 14 shots, five goals, or four goals. Uh, so, you know, that, that's the ratio of that wasn't very good. But, again, I don't think you let the, a team like that get off the mat, and the Blue Jackets let them get off the mat, and that's where you felt like, okay, you better find it quick, and they couldn't find it at all. Yeah, again, you, you're right. If you're, like, if I'm the Coyotes, and you start to build a two-goal lead, then you're going, oh, okay. And you feel better about yourself, right? And then once it's four to nothing, you're sitting there and saying, you don't even have to play prevent defense. You just have to keep doing what you've been doing all night long. And, and, and that balance of power has shifted. And now the Blue Jackets, you know, going into the third period, I said, look, here's the thing. You're chasing. You're down four. You've got 20 minutes. You've got to try to get one early. And then, as you said, the more you push in this game at times, uh, the worse it gets. And that's kind of what it what it was like oh you got to shore up the net too like and make sure you, you really got to shut the door on the net and then you have to get a goal every five minutes <laughs> right and what i've been in i've been in rooms where you know you've been down by three or four and it's like okay that's the mentality like let's chip away at this let's get one quick let's get a power play we know we're going to get a power play we've already been you know they've gotten their power plays they've had a five on three we might even get a five on three if we work it hard in the offensive zone uh because sometimes that evens up with refs, you know. So you work towards those little things, and and you stay within yourself. But you know, it's so a lot of times last night, uh, individual efforts by the Blue Jackets, you know, and, and Line A himself trying to do too much, trying to come back and be that impact guy in the wrong areas at the blue line uh, in your defensive zone, at the blue line in the offensive zone, and through the neutral zone. Whereas when he settled in later in the game, it was like, okay, he's giving it up to get it back. They're trying to get it to him. And if you're defending Goodrow and Line A, you know that they're looking for each other. So they kind of fed into what, you know, I think that Arizona had a good game plan, and I think the Blue Jackets walked into it. And at the end of the day, they, they got beat. Another injury for the Blue Jackets last night. You know, Nick Blankenberg went out of that game in New York on Sunday with an injury. Adam Boquist uh, took his place back in the lineup again last night. He got hit by a shot, and he left the game. And uh, today's a day off, so we'll have to wait and see what the report on him is for tomorrow. Uh, it's not great, but uh, then again, injuries are going to happen. That's just the way it goes. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And, you know, when you look at Danforth out for six months, that's a tough blow. I mean, that's a guy that Brad Larson really relied on in a lot of situations. And, and you know, when you have young skill and veteran players and you see a guy that's just really starting his NHL career get the opportunity because he's smart, hard, works hard, and, and does the right thing almost every shift, uh, you know, you elevate your whole team that way when you have a player like that. So that's a big loss for Larson and the group. Uh, Blankenberg's the same way. I mean, you let him go and he just goes. I mean, he goes so hard that it's borderline. I mean, there's a recklessness to his game that maybe need to be reeled in a little bit, but hey, right now, refreshing boost to the lineup so and then last night of course Boquist again out so they're starting to look uh, like they need something else there's some players playing really well down in Cleveland we know that so the depth of the organization will get will get challenged here but you know again it's it's uh, Jekyll and Hyde a little bit to start the season the first eight games which valuable lessons need to be kept and and made sure they're they're moved forward on and we'll see how they react as, as this week unfolds big week Big, big week, indeed. And speaking of the depth of the organization, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the goaltending of the Blue Jackets and much more as the president of Hockey Operations, John Davidson, sits down with us right after this on the Inside Edge here on 97.1, The Fan. Tweet from a listener. Are you carrying the Buckeye game today? Considering we've never not carried one, yes. The answer is yes. The Fan. 
Welcome back to the Inside Edge. The Blue Jackets are going to return home on Friday to take on the Boston Bruins. It's going to be Hockey Halloween. The first 3,000 kids that are 13 and under are going to get a free Blue Jackets trick-or-treat pillowcase. And they can go around and uh, get candy at Nationwide Arena. Get your tickets at bluejackets.com. Right now we're joined by a guy that used to wear a mask for a living. And, uh, and he doesn't anymore. Do you still wear one? From time to time? Uh, only at Halloween. Only at Halloween. Try to scare the grandkids, right? <laughs> John Davidson, the Blue Jackets president of hockey operations, is with us right now. And, uh, J.D., yeah, back in the summertime when uh, you and Yarmo and the whole management staff was putting together this team, there was that great excitement, of course, from July on. And then uh, you come out and you start 0-3 this year. But I've got to ask you, when you looked at that schedule, you, you knew when the schedule came out it was not exactly favorable for you. But you start 0-3, and then you're able to start to battle back. Are you seeing in these last couple of games the team that you guys thought that you had in the yeah, summer? I think you're correct there. The thing is, schedule was tough, uh, but that's hockey. I mean, we had three games and four nights to start. The last game was in St. Louis. We had played home the night before, and St. Louis hadn't played yet, so they were as fresh as daisies. And then we just went through three and four again, and uh, we were able to walk into New York and play well, really well, and get the win. But here's here's the thing for me, is we had four or five at least players, four or five of them at least, maybe more, that weren't up to par, that weren't on top of their game for whatever reason. And I think that uh, as they've progressed, and you can see their games coming, we're a much better team on the ice. And that, that to me, is something that's interesting, and it's something for me with our group to have to sit down and say, okay, what happened? Why did that happen? Is there an explanation? Is there not? Do they maybe not play enough together in exhibition games since, you know, sometimes you have a really light lineup going into a city and you get spanked. Then you come home and you have a pretty good lineup and you and you spank the other team because their lineup isn't any good. So it's something we got, we have to discuss. It was just For me, it was a little bit different where there wasn't enough players at the top of their game, even though the opposition, there were some good teams there when you think about Carolina and, and uh, Tampa Bay and St. Louis, et cetera. So learning learning lessons as you evolve is a, is a good thing to do. It's funny you mentioned the, uh, the preseason, and you have a great point because – you don't have the same rosters. Even talking to the guys as they started to win games, you know, they would say, well, you know, in the preseason, it's kind of a mix of AHL and NHL players, so the talent level is not the same. So you're kind of getting ready, but you can't really fully get ready and fully up to speed, right? Yeah, yeah but other teams, what, what do they do? Some teams play fewer games. Some teams don't have a hard camp. Some teams have a really hard camp. So it's going to be up to us to try to do that study and figure out exactly what we think is the best thing to do in this day and age, I know one thing, players show up in, in a relatively good shape, in fact, a relatively great shape for training camps these days. I, think, I don't know about you, Jody, back and I was before you, we'd be in decent shape, but we'd show up to get in shape and have the six weeks to do it. In the first four days, you're just about dying, and after the fourth day, you started to, oh, I'm starting to feel pretty good now. I can get That's, out of bed without hurting. <laughs> that sounds like you a know. good summer. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. we used to start training in... I mean, four weeks after we were done. So you yeah. guys would just fish and yeah. golf? Yeah, that's primarily. Well, yeah, and do some running and some workouts, you know, you, but it wasn't all in. Yeah. For sure it wasn't. Uh, but it was it was all relative because that's how it was back in those days. I remember we had a training camp one year, and a guy by the name of Don Maloney, uh, his brother was already playing for us, Dave, he was our captain. Don Maloney shows up. We had drafted him. 
And uh, he went on to have a great career and he got into management, still works for the Flames. We were looking at him in camp in the first day or two and he's doing all these stretching things and he's trying <laughs> to find a bike and he's doing this and doing that. And we're going, what, what, what's this all about? You know? Get this guy out of here. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it was the start of something that's become uh, really important and really good. You know, I'm interested to, you know, that 0-3 stretch, it's such a day-to-day operation for you guys. When you look at your assessment during that time, how uh, what do you look at? Like, Because you, you don't want to get emotional. And you, look, you said there are some reasons why that happened uh, with camp and, and, and those things. But how don't you get uh, – you can't get reactive, right? I no, mean, no, no, you can't because – First of all, in parts of the game in, in Carolina, game one, we played very well. In fact, we carried the first half of the game. The third period, we had a couple of bad plays, and they jacked it up, and we lost. Came home and played Tampa. We didn't play very well as a group. Third game in St. Louis, we actually played pretty good for the majority of that game. And then one thing I found was when we made mistakes, it was us making the mistakes. They pressured us some, but we were shooting ourselves in the foot all night. You know, every mistake, it just... It's just, why did that happen? That shouldn't happen. Then you look at it and say, okay, we, we, we've got some players here that are playing pretty darn good, but we got too many that aren't playing as up to their capabilities in our minds. And I think the players would tell you that too. But, uh, so, so with that happening, you can't, you can't overreact. You can't get crazy. You can't get stupid. We also understand there's a lot of youth here still. And I know I keep bringing that up, but it's a fact. And uh, now you see a few games later, um, Chinikov snaps one in New York the other night. He's playing pretty good defensively. We've got some young players that are starting to. And, and another thing I, I will say, and I have to admit it, is when Blankenberg jumped in, that gave us some pretty good energy, and he and he just did. I mean that was good. And to see us when he got hurt the other night in New York to play five D third game in four nights and hang in and play well with it with uh, with Tarasov and goal that was pretty good. Because management is much more long-term than coaching as far as expectations. Yeah, yeah. You're looking yeah, at the long y- game. Yeah, we have to. But at the same time, I understand coaches want to win every night. That's their jobs. And uh, Yarmo does a great job having an open relationship. He had it with Torts, and he has it with Brad in, in being honest about everything, including where we are as an organization. We, we know we're not a championship team yet. But we're striving to get there, and you're going to have these three steps forward, then all of a sudden two back, or some young players are going to make a play, you scratch your head. And uh, But we've, we've got to go through that. What else uh, I do enjoy is the fact that Cleveland, with some of the guys there that uh, that have chances of becoming players here, and some of them good players here, they're, they're getting it done there. So that's going to be a fun season to watch a lot of that as, as players, uh, I guess you could say, ripen to get ready for the NHL. Yeah, and I, I was fascinated at the Kent Johnson decision a little bit because he had played a lot of hockey. Uh, he's a young guy, kind of a light guy, but also he's going to be here. This is long-term uh, part of the future. So oh, yeah. that must have been one of those decisions yeah. where you had some guys pushing, like you just said, but he seems to be coming on. But you're watching him very closely, right? Yes, absolutely. That's our jobs. I mean... Sometimes if you can't get a player to step up the ladder to get uh, keep going north, you have to put him somewhere or in a position to be able to do it. And uh, then you have injuries and everybody everything has to fall into place in that situation. You know, we've lost Danforth now for a bit. And so 
gives other people opportunities. You look at what Foodie did the other night in uh, in New York to assist and played well on top of that. Now, here's a guy that was a first-rounder, known for his speed and penalty killing, and uh, he's had injuries, and he's had his ups and downs, but it looks like if when you even when you look at him and he just looks more like a man as opposed to being this young kid that was drafted a while ago. So you, you see these kids grow, and you try to time it and get them in there when it's necessary and see what they can do. And you look at last year. We talked about this a couple shows ago, Bob, where there were more spots last year to make on this team than there were coming into camp this yeah, year. Right. And a guy that benefited, in my mind, and probably yours too, is Chinnikov. Yeah. Because he just looks like the game is a little bit slower for him. He can do it a little bit quicker. Yeah, and I, I think probably for me the biggest asset that he has, aside from he's a big, strong kid, he's thick. When he does take the body, you can see the impact. He's worked hard at being a 200-foot player, which is good, but that shot is lethal. That that snapshot the other night in New York was lethal. I don't know if anybody would have stopped that. And so what I have seen with him is when we were in Traverse City last year, he was scoring at ease. Different world when you get into the NHL. Bigger players, faster players, better players by a mile. And he had trouble getting the shot off. It was deflected. It was blocked. It was deflected. It was blocked. It was never getting through very often. Now you see him bursting with speed with the puck. You see him trying to uh, take the the puck on the tip of the blade, maybe pull it back over a little bit to find an angle where you're getting away from the defender. And and you're right, it slows down in your mind. It's The game is fast, but if you can become a NHL player where you're comfortable and confident, that whole thought process just slows down and you can get things done. I've, I've, uh, I've re- I like that kid. First of all, he's a good kid. He's always smiling. He shows up to work. And uh, I, I think, you know, who knows, but you, you, I, there's a chance this kid could really pop. With that, with that shot, he learns how to do that thing. My goodness! Oh, I know Cylinder loves playing with him, so that'd be good to get him going yeah. too. Funny yeah. how the old things still work, right? Yeah. Be a good person, show up for work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you check those two doesn't boxes, change. you can go a lot of places. Well, doesn't hurt because if you don't, that's <laughs> what are your chances? We're talking with John Davidson, president of hockey operations for the Blue Jackets. I want to go back to Kent Johnson for just a second, uh, and I'm just curious, as camp is coming to an end and you're looking to set the final roster, as Jody said, you're looking to, to decide where he's going to finally fit in. Is it going to be here or is it going to be Cleveland? Um did you have discussions about you oh, drafted sure. him as a centerman, right? Yeah, yeah. He played some center during the yeah. uh, preseason. Did you have discussions about him maybe going to Cleveland and yeah. putting him in that number one spot? And yeah, absolutely. It? Yeah, lots of discussions about everything from A to Z. I, I think that uh, what Kent had to do was gain the, the the trust and respect of the coaching staff. Now, if you remember him last year when he when he played, he would get the puck and basically slow it down and then try to make plays. This year, something happened, uh, whether it was the coaching working with him or him watching Johnny Hockey or whatever it is, he doesn't slow down much. He's playing a fast game sometimes, uh, which is natural, overhandles the puck and gets stripped. But uh, he's he's showing no fear going into the corners, going to the front of the net, any of those types of things, playing on the inside now. Um, seems to be uh, competitive, even though he's not, as you said earlier, he's uh, he's not a heavy guy. He does have a... Six foot six one frame, so he's got some room there to get stronger, and he's working at it. But uh, but he's gained the trust. If he didn't gain the trust, he would have been in Cleveland. That's just how it works. But uh, uh, that skill is something special. He's starting to score now a little bit. 
he had a lot of chances last year to score, and he's had a lot of chances this year to score, and he didn't score. Now, all of a sudden, he scored in a, in a couple straight, so we'll see where this goes. Yeah, and you could see it coming, right? This, yeah, oh, yeah. Just with the chances that he was getting. Yeah, absolutely. I told him the other day, I thought he was going to score on the last shot of last year in Pittsburgh. He took it. He had like this fantastic <laughs> chance, and I thought, this is going to go in yeah. within the final seconds of the game, and it didn't. But, uh, but yeah, for a guy like that, if you're going to keep creating those chances, eventually it's going to work. I think so, yeah. He's... Uh, He's got that. He's got something that a lot of people don't have as far as skill level goes. So I know uh, he can make plays, but he can also shoot and he can be creative around the net. I saw him. You guys were probably here at practice recently. He scored a uh, a penalty shot or shootout goal. Ooh, I'm glad I wasn't the goaltender. I would have pulled a groin and threw my back out. And uh, but uh, he he made some move that was spectacular. Yeah. If I ever see him do that in the game, I'd be. Right at the top of the class, applauding. <laughs> hey, you mentioned Daniil Tarasov and his performance uh, in New York the other day, and obviously it was clutch because of the situation, as you were talking about. You just played a lot of games. You're going back-to-back. You're playing less than 24 hours. And this guy was just completely calm in the way that he approached things. And I just want to ask you, from from being a goaltender, that calmness, uh, and I'm sure that sometimes when you're back there, you're like everybody else. You, you want to do more. You want to, you, you know, you want to win the game yourself. If, it, if I can do it myself, I'm going to do it. But that'll get you out of sorts, and then that kind of bleeds into the team. What does that calmness from that position do for the guys in front of him? Yeah, I think he's got something there that not many have, and that's the ability to whatever the situation is to just be calm. And that's uh, that's watching him go over to the bench, watching him and warm up, uh, talking to him here at the arena. In, in Columbus, he just it never changes. He's always the same. You talk to him about his hip, he talks. We, by the way, I love the fact that he did a, an interview on television after in English. It was great. He's got no fear of maybe making a, a mistake with his wording or whatever. He's, this kid's a good kid. He's got long legs, long arms, tall kid. Uh, works extremely hard with the uh, with his injury and the surgery and. Worked. He stayed here most of the summer and worked here. I mean, sometimes a lot of kids, when they come from different countries, they want to go home for the off season. This kid's got a goal, and uh, you know, Ian, Ian Clark was our former goalie coach. did a Did a good job finding Daniel. Did a really good job, and then Manny's done a great job. But Manny Legacy, our coach here, is working with him and and getting him to where he needs to go. Uh, when I watch him play, I don't think he has a weakness. So we'll see how it goes with his growth. Um, it's he's a he's a wonderful pro, uh, project for us for sure. He was a project in his draft year. I think he was injured, right? He, yeah, yeah, and no yeah. one touched him, and you yeah. guys took a chance on him. His dad was his goalie coach, and uh, Clarkie had spent a lot of time going over there and uh, got to know him, and he touted him, and sure enough, uh, here we are today. So I mean, it, there's a lot of growth ahead of him. There's a lot of playing to do, and um, we'll see what happens, whether it's here or in Cleveland. We'll just have to wait. This whole thing's got to sort itself out. We've got Elvis. Corpy's coming along. He's going to be playing games pretty soon. And uh, and uh, and Daniil. So, and then Jack Greaves has played real hard for us in Cleveland. So we're, we're in a good position, but we've got to sort it out as to what we're going to do with everybody. As a goaltender, I watched him the first couple games. I thought he was working way too hard. I don't know what you think. It's He seemed exhausted in the third period, and maybe it was the opposition with the zone time. I, I don't know, but he seemed more relaxed in yeah. in New York. The maybe game, the, maybe well, the, the game. The game in Carolina, one thing about their team is 
They'll shoot from the bench. They <laughs> shoot from everywhere all game long. That's all they do is shoot. And it's not all they do. They have a heck of a team. But that was a lot of hard work. And their, their, their set game is basically, if they're in the offensive zone, either get it to the point or whatever and shoot. And there's always traffic. Always traffic. So there's a lot of big bodies that he was battling all night long. And it's a new experience for him at this level. So that's a good point. But I think a lot of it had to do with coming back from the, the surgery, trusting it, having that workload that he hasn't had. You know, the exhibition games are way different than what he faced in Carolina. Way different. So, uh, and he, and actually he wasn't going to play that game either until Elvis right. fell ill. So the whole thing was an interesting dynamic, but he tried to fight through it. He deserves credit for that. And that trust thing, he had just been there a week before, and he yeah. left that game because of soreness. And yeah, so right. when you talk about trusting the injury, that's yeah. huge. Yeah, and, you know, you can work out in the in the room here with the training staff. You can work out and practice, but when you get into a game, that's a real deal. And if they're throwing shot after shot after shot, because that's how they play, you know, it's that's a taxing thing. So probably... Did him a lot of good to get through that uh, on the right side of, of, of the health ledger sheet. It was good. We're talking with Blue Jackets President of Hockey Operations, John Davidson. And we'll continue this conversation right after this on 97.1 The Fan. Just like Buckeye football, we hold ourselves to ridiculously high standards. But unlike Buckeye football, we always fall short. Your home of the Buckeyes, The, the Fan. This is the Inside Edge. We're talking with uh, the president of hockey operations for the Blue Jackets, John Davidson. Your team is getting ready here in a couple of days to go to Finland to play against the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, We were talking about schedule earlier on. You know, not very tough at the beginning with the teams that were scheduled against you. Now, this is another challenge, albeit a fun challenge. But are you looking forward to going over there and and getting that global experience? I think it's good for the Blue Jackets. Um, I think it's a good experience for the players. I hope we attack it the right way, which I'm sure we will. And then once we come back, whatever happens there, it comes back and we find our game right away. Nashville's had a hard time. They haven't won since they came back from, from Prague. But uh, I've always believed that it's it's good experience to see the world, to understand cultures, to allow players to have an experience that they're going to remember. And that's what this thing should be about. And the good thing is it's not exhibition hockey. It's the real deal. Um, I remember at Rangers when I was there, we had training camp in Finland one time. It was outstanding. It was a great experience. We uh, <clears throat> first day of practice, we're skating around, and I look, and I'm skating around as a goalie. And there was two players there I'd never seen before. I didn't even know who the hell they were. Ended up, it was a guy by the name of Miko Leninen, who I think uh, had six points in one game for us. And the other was Reiho Rutsalainen. And he became a great player in this game. And, uh, you know, things happen. This was a great experience to to go and see the world, see what it's all about, and other hockey and other hockey players, and, and, and have a good time doing it. And that's why I wanted to ask you about that, because you've had the opportunity in this game, and especially as a broadcaster going all over the world yeah. and calling the Olympics, and uh, to watch to watch these guys be ambassadors for the NHL yeah. and for the game of hockey. I went over in the 77 uh, with Team Canada, and I was one of the last cuts, but I had the whole experience of being over there for a couple of weeks. The uh, the tournament ended up being held in Vienna, Austria, but we played exhibition games in Sweden, and uh, the Czech, it was called Czechoslovakia back then, 
and it was behind the Iron Curtain. That what an experience that was! My gosh, you should have seen that trying to get out of there. But it was it was machine guns and big great big German shepherds and barbed wire and all that stuff. It was fascinating, but the the whole experience was just so special. And uh, the year when the Rangers won the cup in '94 as a broadcaster, we opened in England in London a couple of games at Wembley. And that was a great, so you remember these experiences, you know. And then the Olympics, as you mentioned, I very lucky had uh, one here in the U.S. at Salt Lake and then four others. I'm trying to remember where they were, Italy, France, uh, Japan, and Norway. Just to see cultures, to see the world, how it works, to see hockey when the other teams are together and play their brand of hockey. Uh, Germany played a much different brand than the Czech Republic. The, the Czechs played the left-wing lock. The, the Germans played a 1-4. They had four guys across their own blue line. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all the time. It was just, and the Russians, it was, they, they just wanted to control the puck. They have the puck all the time, regroup, regroup, all that stuff. Canadians, of course, they like to do everything with the bang and crash. And the same with the U.S. side. It was just fun to see all this stuff. So it's a great experience. Best part about that was no workouts for you when you're broadcasting, <laughs> right? And no curfew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably more stress than anything else, boys. <laughs> you know, I used to take my family with me to the Olympics, so I'd have my two daughters and my wife, and I'd work just about every day. And they enjoyed the fruits of all these different countries. So it was a great experience for them, too. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Well, is there anything you guys can do to prepare for that travel? Is there any, like, little... Well, we're, we're going early enough, so that'll yeah. be good. And, and coming back this way is actually easier than going. So I always, whenever I go over there, I end up up at 2 o'clock in the morning and wake till 5 in the morning all the time. But when you come back, it's not bad. And I, I, I think that, uh, you know, Yarmo and the whole crew have got it pretty well organized. And the league does a great job. They like the fact that teams go over to that part of the world to promote our game and try to sell hockey to the way it should be. And in, in the uh, two games we're going for, they were sold out in minutes, just minutes. Yarmo, I talked to him this morning. He was whining. As usual, about uh, <laughs> about all his friends coming out of the woodwork that he hasn't spoken oh, yeah, to for I twenty bet. years. All I of a sudden, bet. they want tickets. Yeah. So just got to tell them there is none. Yeah. Sorry, hope you're well, but uh, say la vie. That's say, it. Say la vie. <laughs> is the ice surface bigger? Yeah, it's about uh, Finland. I've always liked Finland's ice. It's the same length, but it's instead of eighty five, is like ninety two. Yeah, that's instead right. of uh, most. Uh, the universal rinks, the, the European rinks are 100 wide, 200 long. Ours is 200 by 85. Finland's a hybrid. They went a little bit bigger, not, not all the way to 100. And I've always felt that with the game getting so big with players, that a little extra space wouldn't hurt. But uh, then when you think if you try to do that with all the arenas, how expensive it would be to just to change it. And our game is our lose game. Lose those so. premium seats right there along the glass. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and if you lose it, honestly, in today's game, if you take away a row along the glass, you're taking away a lot of money. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Plus, it's just it's the work to be able to do yeah. it. That's expensive right. to do. Our game's good. Our game's fast. And uh, that, that, I think when, that, when we were talking about that years and years ago, it was more when the transition was happening where players were getting so big. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't uh, really, you know, the younger, the smaller players, all the hooking and all, they couldn't do much. And the bigger players didn't skate as well. Nowadays, they're also fast. The big guys are fast. The little guys are fast. And there's not, they don't allow the hooking and holding and water skiing and all that stuff. So 
it's in good shape. That's amazing because you look at the numbers that Mario Lemieux, Wayne oh. Gretzky put up, and that game, if you watch a game from 12, 15 oh, years yeah. ago, it's a completely different sport. For sure it is. I agree with you totally. And 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 how they did what they did is beyond me. Bobby Orr, you know, and they were all protected pretty well. I mean, Gretzky was protected by the boys, and Bobby, you couldn't sneeze on Bobby. They had about six guys that would come over and say hello to you. Yeah. But it was, it, they were just such great, great athletes. Mario, I mean, that just, it's a real shame his back went. Because it, it, they all, everybody can argue who was the greatest. Was it Gordie Howe with his longevity? Who was a great player? Is it Gretz? Is it Mario? Is it uh, Bobby Orr? Bobby had a very short career. Mario's was short. Gretzky, the one thing with all his points is he had longevity. And that says a lot for how smart he was. You try to hit him, it didn't happen very often. Of course, you get some ankle would come after you if you did. But yeah. the point is, he played, and he and he it wasn't a thick big guy, but he was so brilliant. His mind and his ability, and he just he's the greatest that ever played. He can't go anywhere else. I don't think that's just my opinion. And there was a lot of great players. Now I look at the technology of the goalie equipment too. I mean, the st- have you picked up a goalie stick lately? Oh yeah. I mean, it's probably. A hundred times heavier, you know? Well, how about the old goal pads we wore when they got wet? Yeah. You had to play three and four nights. It was hard. Those things were like lead. And let's face it, I mean, the goaltending back then, there was some good ones, but not like there is today. I mean, this is something else, these guys. They're good. They're really good. You talk about longevity. How about Phil Kessel? Yeah, isn't that something? I mean, that isn't yeah. good. I don't, I don't know how to explain how impressive that is. Yeah. I can't compare yeah. it to anything. I played with Gary Unger. Oh, who you was did? was one of the originals. Yeah. And great guy. And he, uh, this was with the Blues back in the early 70s. And he set the record. And then a guy like Doug Jarvis comes along. And now Phil Kessel's here. And Keith Yandel, all those things. There's got to be Lady Luck because they didn't get sick. They didn't have the flu so bad they couldn't get out of bed ever. Yeah. Ever. It's amazing. Or they didn't accidentally take a puck and they broke a finger. or it just It's a large part of it. And then, I'm sure if you talk to every one of them, they were able to play hurt. When they did have a little nick, or at least a nick where some players might not, they did. It's a fascinating thing. It's fascinating. I can't get over how they can do that. I, I mean, just I can't he might it out. play a thousand games without missing one since two thousand nine. Yeah, yeah. And, and for Phil Kessel to continue the consecutive game streak, he didn't even have a job until what? Right before yeah. training camp. That's for right. Out loud. And he's been accused of not being the most well-conditioned athlete, right? Over the oh years. yeah, yeah. And he's he's not the poster child no. of a uh, yeah. of a perfectly fitness. No, yeah, look at him. I mean, it's an amazing thing. But he's impressively strong, yeah, I guess, in the yeah, weight room. Like yeah. a one-rep guy. You know, we, had, uh, we had Phil Esposito in New York with. He was a teammate of mine for a long time, and he, he still holds the record for most shots in a season at 550. And everybody would think, oh, Vetchin must have broken that. No, he didn't. Not even close. And uh, <clears throat> Phil was a big guy. He wasn't lean by any means, but he played and he played, and he scored goals like you wouldn't believe. Scored 76 one year in a shorter season than what we play today for the Bruins. I don't know. These guys just, they just, they got it. I don't know what it is. I don't know what to tell you. How about some of the old pitchers over the years in baseball? (laughs) You know, there's some pretty big guys there that could uh, just paint the corners and throw the ball. and It's an amazing thing. Golfers. Yeah. They're much fitter today. 
much the majority of them, ninety nine percent of them. But there was a time where, holy smokes! But they were so good at what they did. I don't know. Well, figured out. And the pitchers back in those days were expected to throw nine innings every time they went out, yeah. and maybe come back three days later. Whereas yeah. today, nobody throws nine innings. No. If you get through six, good job, kid. Out yeah, of here. That's you know, right. So yeah. every game has changed. Yeah, every for game. sure. But your game and your team changing for the better here uh, after so. that slow start. So that's yeah. great. Yeah, I hope so. It's it's just looking at the team, trying to analyze where we are to see the a number of the players who didn't seem to have their game are getting it now, which makes us a better team. Um, to see some good things happen, to see Kent Johnson score, to see Chinikov score, to see the Tarasov get himself a big win. There's a lot of good things happening here. And when when you think of, I mean, the blow up against Pittsburgh was was just gut wrenching. But we had won two straight prior, and we've won one since. You have to, uh, you just have to keep it all in perspective as you go forward here. You just do, otherwise you lose your own mind. Yeah, the only problem with that Pittsburgh game is it's the same one you've seen so many times, yeah. right? Yeah, it's old. Yeah, yeah, so, it's, really it's old. very old. <laughs> and all their fans, they had a few fans in here, yeah, and yeah. that was we'll, we'll aggravating. We'll take their money. <laughs> yeah. It's the best way of looking at it. Yeah, exactly. That is yeah. the only way. Yeah. <laughs> well, J.D., thank you very okay, much. Guys, we pleasure. always appreciate sitting down and talking with yeah. you, and uh, uh, enjoy you. your trip to Flint, uh, to Finland. Yeah, all of us. Let's have yes. fun. See all right. Ya. Thank Sounds you. good. That is John Davidson. He is the president of Hockey Operations for the Blue Jackets. Stay tuned. Jody and I will come back and wrap up this week's edition of the Inside Edge right after this on 97.1 The Fan. If you consider yourself a Buckeye fan, you've come to the right place. This is your heritage sports talker and home of Ohio State Athletics. The Fan, Ohio sports destination. Welcome back to the Inside Edge, getting ready to wrap up tonight's show. Let's talk about Finland here, because from a player's point of view, we always talk about going on the road on a road trip is a good bonding experience. It is early in the year. You have uh, a lot of guys. This is a good team to give a bonding opportunity to. Now, usually when we're talking about that, we're talking about going to California or Western Canada or somewhere relatively close by. But this is all the way across the ocean, going into Europe, uh, couple of Finnish players on this team. They're going to be very excited to go over there and play some NHL games. But just for the overall camaraderie of it, as a former player, is this something that you would be excited about? You know what? I, I, there's parts of it I definitely would be. You know, going over to Finland, uh, you know, these events are busy. You know, the the Finnish guys are going to be very busy, uh, but it's fun. You're going to get the energy from the crowd, and that that cult, it's a different culture. The time change, um, we're going to kind of be in our own world over there, experiencing their culture. So that's all going to be very exciting. The travel, you know, it's going to be first class travel over and back, and it's going to be very fun as a player. But you know, when you when you take a step back and look at it, it's going to be a big test because. This is a team that's trying to find their way to start the season. They do. They have felt good about themselves, and after last night, they don't feel so good. But, you know, see how they react with the next game. But then you look at uh, their schedule has been very busy and very. They had to be very attentive with who they're playing. They're going over there to play Colorado. I know, but now it's two games in t- in ten days in that segment. So you know, once you leave New Jersey and get on that plane, you have ten days with only two games, and it's a two games over there. Then you have to come back, and it's. You know, you get four days, but you're right back into the grind. Like, there's going to be game after game after game. So, uh, I think some players are thinking about that as well, where, 
you know, we, you want to. There's some players that don't have points. There's some players that don't like the way they're playing. And this is something. This is this is something that they really have to watch and be careful because they want to have a good season. They want to get off to a good start. And and right now they're again they wanted to get to 500 last night. They're not there as a team. Do they have a couple more games? Do they win the next two games and be there before they leave? That's a good benchmark uh, before they leave to get back because they know there's going to be adjustment. So um, it's going to be. A great experience and fun. It's a National Hockey League event, and they always do a tremendous job with any event they put on. The fans from Columbus and and all over North America, there will be a bunch there too. So that's all going to be good. But, you know, the break in the schedule and the travel, uh, that's something that they have to be prepared prepared for and very aware of. And as you just talked about, there are two games between now and then. The Boston Bruins will be here on Friday night, and then the Blue Jackets travel to New Jersey for a Sunday afternoon game before getting on the plane and going to Finland. And programming note for you, now everything's subject to change. I'll, I'll give you that. But our plan is next week when we do this show from Finland to do it with Patrick Laine, who's getting ready to play two games in his hometown. Yeah, that'll be fun. I mean, I'm glad you lined up that guest. I hope it comes through for us because I'd be excited to talk to Patrick Laine uh, about his start of the season and, of course, being over there in Finland and what that means to him. And that's got to be uh, one of those dream come trues. He, he, dreams come true. Uh, I pluralized the wrong word there, but here we go. He's uh, he's from Finland. He grew up there. We're going to his hometown in Tampere. Uh, there's two teams in that town, two uh, Finnish elite uh Elite league teams, excuse me, and there's it's already a big hockey city that draws fourteen thousand fans in the Nokia Arena. Um, so there's going to be a lot there, and he says the best chicken wings in the world are in Tampere. They say that the he it's known that the sauce there is um, is is a delicacy. So he said, yeah, make sure you get a lot of chicken wings. So that's good news for you, and me, Bob. It is good news. I wonder what the people in Buffalo think of that. Well, maybe we'll have to uh, ask someone from Buffalo to join us. Well, well now we've had to, we've had great wings in Buffalo. Yes. So, hey, who's better to ask than us? That's we a great will point. do the taste test and we will record it and send it back to the fans. All right, that sounds good, Jody. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Inside Edge. We'd like to thank John Davidson, the Blue Jackets president of hockey operations, for joining us here tonight. Blue Jackets back on the ice on Friday night at seven o'clock against the Boston Bruins. Pre-game coverage starts at six thirty right here on the fan. That's going to do it for Jody Shelley. I'm Bob McElligot saying so long and thanks for listening to ninety-seven point one, the fan. Answer all of our dumb questions by voting in the fan poll. Sponsored by Dick Masheter Ford. Type in 971 the fan on the Twitter machine. Thank you.